Thank you so much for the opportunity and the honor to be here with you all this morning and to just to, to be in this place uh, where God has, has brought us all this morning. If you'll, if you'll do me a favor, if you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning, I just, this is actually one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I just want us to, to deal with this this morning a little bit. And Romans chapter 8. Looking at verses 28 through 39. Romans chapter 8, 28 through 39. Why don't you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? In Romans 8, 28 through 39, it reads We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is at the right hand of God. Uh, it is God who justifies. Who is, it, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you this morning. Lord, this is, this is a place and a, a time and a space that we have set aside to just, really, Lord, just to connect with you, to connect with each other, to be focused in on, on who you are and what you desire for us. And this morning, God, we just ask that you would truly open up your word to us. The Lord, everything that is here, everything that I've planned, anything that we've planned for this service, Lord, would be surrendered to you right now. And that, God, you would be at work in and through it. Lord, if something needs to change, even at this last moment, may you make that change happen. May this be your time, Lord, to speak into our very hearts your transforming word and by your grace that we might go forth and be your people, a people of love, a people of holiness, a people of grace. So it is in your holy, it is in your powerful, it is in your loving name we pray. 
Now, as you can tell, I'm short. And as such, I've never been asked once in my entire life, did you play basketball? Obviously, I have. I, I get that question all the time. I've, I've had total strangers ask me, so what basketball team did you play for? And, and, and I think it's a fun question sometimes, but usually the question always asks, what college did you play for? Because they think, you know, honestly, if you played basketball, you must have played for a college. And maybe I watched that basketball game you played on, and it'd be really cool. And they ask me that question. Well, I have been this tall since ninth grade, since I was 14. Now, you can imagine, at that time, the question really was, you have to play basketball, right? I mean, you look at you, you're a giant, you got to play basketball. And, of course, I did. I played all kinds of sports as a kid. I played soccer, basketball, um, I played baseball. I, I didn't really get into football. I know this is sort of more football country out here for whatever reason. I just didn't get into football, but... I played those sports, and then when I was in oh, junior high, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I played basketball mostly. They didn't really have soccer back then, and I, and I played all the way through that. In fact, between my 8th and ninth grade, I got to go to this really cool basketball camp, and, and I tried out for this basketball team that would go over to England and Ireland and Wales and play basketball for two weeks over there. I was like, oh man, I got to try this out, and by God's grace, I guess, I don't know what happened. I made the team. I, I was never that good of a player, so I was a little shocked. And so between my ninth grade year and my 10th grade year, I got to go all the way over to England, Ireland and Wales, and for 14 days, we played 16 games of basketball. I can explain how that happens if you want later, but we played a ton of basketball, and I loved it. And I came back, and I started my sophomore year at, at where I lived. That actually put me in the physical high school. For some reason, they only had 10th or 12th in the high school. And I get into this high school, and I, and I'm, I mean, I just, I just had this incredible summer experience. I had just done this incredible thing, and I got to play basketball. And I, I get to this time of year, and, and they post the tryouts for the high school basketball team we're going to start. Now, for whatever reason, the basketball coach of the varsity basketball team was also my PE teacher. He also knew who I was. He'd also seen me play basketball, and he was waiting for me to play. I was the tallest kid in school. I was, you know, I was it. I was the one coming in to help him out. And so when the tryouts came, I just said, you know, God, is this what I need to do? Do you want me to play basketball this year? And out of the blue, God said, no. Now, of course, there's a part of me that said, God, you know, I just... Got to go on this really cool trip, and I played basketball there. And you know, I've done this since I can remember. I mean, so this is part of who I am, ain't it? This is part of what I do, isn't it? Is this is sort of like where my future is going? I know you've called me into ministry, but I mean, this is a route, isn't it? I could maybe even go to college on this. My mom doesn't make any money. <laughs> I'm not going to college on her income. So, so why not, God? And He said. No. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really fight him a lot that first year, but the next year, oh man, I was like, God, I miss it. I mean, this was part of who I was, this is part of my life, I mean, this could be part of my future, and you're asking me to, to say no to something I love and want to do, and really to just put my trust in you, to take care of the details of the rest of my life, and God... 
come on, it's, it's basketball. Now, when I didn't show up for those tryouts, I still had to show up to PE class that sophomore year. And I'd walk into PE class every single day for at least, at least the next quarter. I mean, it was probably about two months. And this wonderful PE teacher, who was the varsity basketball coach, who had been watching me, would sing this wonderful song making fun of the fact that I was the tallest kid in school, I'd played basketball all these years, and I did not try out. So every day I'd go to PE, knowing. In fact, I got a C that quarter in, in uh, PE because he was so mad at me for not playing basketball. And it came down to this wonderful question, do I trust God with my future? Do I trust God with my present? I don't know how many of you know much about the, the book of Romans and, and, and to whom Paul was really writing when he wrote this book, but we have this book of Romans, and, and I always encourage anybody, if they get the opportunity to really sit down with Scripture and really engage it. Now, I have this practice, I learned it at seminary, and I have not let go of it because it was just a wonderful practice of taking a book of the Bible and taking the time to sit down and read it all the way through in one sitting, just to read it. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop at chapters. In fact, if I can, I try to find a copy without chapters, verses, any of that kind of stuff. And I just want to read it. I just want to hear. This is what the people would have originally heard. I want to know what it sounded like in its entirety. And one of my favorite books to do that with is this book of Romans, because here we have this book that Paul just lays out, this beautiful story of what we believe in Christ Jesus and what our future holds. And so Paul is writing to this church in, in Rome. And we all know Rome was this capital city of this incredible empire. It was this incredible, powerful empire. And the, and the person who ran Rome was this guy named Caesar. Uh, Caesar. And Caesar was it. He was the man. He was everything. In fact, for every, they had all these religions. They had all these different beliefs. But one of the central points of the Roman Empire was to say the phrase that Caesar is Lord. I mean, the very culture of that day had this very different understanding of what, what power and what lordship meant than what Jesus came to bring. And so all of a sudden, here, here Paul is writing to a people in this capital city of Rome and saying, here in this capital city of Rome where this understanding of power is to build myself up. This understanding of power is to hoard and collect for myself. This understanding of power is to make others submissive to me. Well, this understanding of power is to say that Caesar is Lord. He's the boss. He's in charge. We're going to trust him to lead us. And here in the midst of this city, in the midst of this powerful center of power, was this group of people who believed in something completely opposite, completely contrary, even to the point of completely opposing the very idea of Roman nationalism. And it is to this group of people that Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter really to introduce himself. He's planning to visit. He's wanting to come there. In fact, he's wanting to come there so that maybe he could be sent from there to Spain. He wants to visit these people. And so he writes them saying, here, this is who I am. 
this is, this is the, the encompassing of everything I believe and everything I've been taught and everything I know. This is what I've preached throughout all of minor Asia. This is who I am. And so Paul begins in this book of Romans this story of what God has done. And it really begins with, you know, God has given us this freedom, this incredible, powerful freedom to either love Him, God, or to reject God. That we can either trust in God or we can simply say, I'm going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in Caesar. I'm going to trust in my parents. I'm going to trust in, in my job. I'm going to trust in everything else, but I am not going to trust in God. We have this incredible freedom to do so. And, and from the very moment of creation, God has given us this freedom. And from the very moment of creation, we have taken it and run with it. And Paul says, you know, all of us, all of us have made the choice to reject God. We, we've said, God, thank you and all, but we want to go our own route. We want to do our own thing. We want to live our own way. And, and Paul really, he, he calls it sin. We've all sinned. In and, and, and that wonderful passage, it says, you know, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of that glory, of that otherness, of that wonderment, of that who God is and that incredible relationship we can have with him. We have all fallen short. I heard this message not that long ago where a pastor was talking with a guy who was agnostic. And this agnostic guy had, was talking to the pastor saying, you know, I'm starting to come around. I'm starting to come around. I think I'm starting to believe in what you guys are talking about. And they were discussing some of the, the, the things he struggled with. And then he, the pastor was starting to talk to him and said, well, what are some of the things you do believe already? And he said, one of the things, the agnostic said, one of the things I believe is that I have sinned. He goes, I, I believe I have added to the brokenness of creation. And that just really hit me because, I mean, I've had some conversations with people. They go, you know what? <laughs> I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as, did you see that guy over there? I, I'm not as bad as those people over there. I have never been arrested or I've, I've never done drugs or I've never done this. And, and they list all these things that, you know, well, I'm just not as bad as them. So I must not have sinned. I mean, I'm a good person. And yet the reality is, I think we could all say, at some point, at some day, we have added to the brokenness of creation. We've hurt somebody. We've broken somebody's heart. We, we've done something to add hurt and pain and brokenness and messiness to the world in which we live. And Paul goes on in his story. He says, we're, we're all in this, this messy, messiness. Can I, can I say that? <laughs> we're all in this world that is broken. We're all in this world that has really just gone south and hasn't stopped. Now, I wish I could say that the, the Roman time was way worse than our time. But if you start looking at some of the stuff that Paul lists in that first chapter of Rome, of Romans, you realize times haven't changed that much. We still live in a very broken world. Maybe we call them different things now. Maybe they look a little bit different on the outside, but the brokenness on the inside is still exactly the same, and we are still in the same position of this brokenness in the sin-filled world, ourselves at times being partakers and instigators of that brokenness. But Paul 
goes on from that. And he begins to share the incredible truth of the gospel message that God so loves us, that God so loves you and me, that in the midst of our brokenness, he shows up. That in the midst of our brokenness, he comes and crashes into the midst of our lives to redeem, to restore, to fix, to love us. So in comes Jesus, into this messiness of a broken creation, and through his own selfless sacrifice, and through his own moment of saying, I'm going to trust the Father. I mean, have you ever really just wrestled with that, that story of Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Where he's saying, God, I, you know, Father, if possible, you know, can you just, can you do something else? Do I really need to do this? And yet he gets to that point of saying, but I trust you. I know you. I know your love for me. And so he uses those famous words, but not my will. yours. He trusts wholeheartedly the Father, that same Father that desires us to trust Him. And through His selfless sacrifice, He redeems, restores, and resurrects our broken lives. Now, I love, I love Scripture. It's just part of who I am. It's, It's just what I do. But I love reading these stories and it talks about resurrection and, and this incredible reality that Jesus rose from the dead and, and in that moment he just changed everything. The world had seen death. The world had seen crucifixion. The world had seen all those kinds of things. But when Jesus rose again, in that moment, everything was shattered. I mean, Paul himself, he, he was a Pharisee. He'd grown up and was trained to be a Pharisee. And so he He understood and he even believed in resurrection. But yet for Paul, resurrection was something that happened way out there. It happened, well, just after we died. Then it just took time and sort of the end of time. But here when Jesus rose rose from the dead, when he came back to life in the midst of the time, all of a sudden the reality was that this resurrection, this new life, this possibility of a present reality came to fruition. Jesus had always said, you know, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is now, and yet there was sort of this sense, well, but it's over there, isn't it? And so here, Paul just begins this incredible story of saying that the kingdom of God is now. That in Christ Jesus, we today, now, can have and live out this resurrected life, this redeemed life, this restored life, this holy life that is other and opposite and set apart from what the world says is normal. And so we come to this, these chapters of chapter 6, eight, 7, and 8, and Paul begins this dialogue with us of, of this struggle that there is to, to surrender ourselves to Christ, to be crucified with Christ, to allow ourselves to be totally surrendered to Him, to trust the Father to the depth that Jesus trusts Him, and to no longer live according to the way the world says to live, but to live according to the Spirit, to be holy 
as he is, as God is holy. To love like Christ's love. And here we have this tension. Because we live still in a very broken world. We live still in a very messy world. We live in a place that every day there are people dying and hurting and crying out for hope and for love. We live in a world that when we step out of these wonderful doors and this beautiful building, we walk into it, we have to make a choice every second of every day. Will we live by the Spirit? Or will we live by our own passions and desires? We have to make a choice every day. Will we trust Him who is the Father? Or will we just trust ourselves? Now a year ago, I... I, I would have laughed at you probably if you told me I'd be standing here. I, I would have said no way. In fact, a year ago, I was with a group of people planning to celebrate the 90th anniversary of Racine Taylor Avenue Church of the Nazarene. I mean, we were, we were getting ready in just a couple weeks from today to, to celebrate this incredible anniversary and to celebrate the life of the church. And, and I was preparing my message as to what I'm going to say about where God has brought us and where God's taking us. And a year ago, I would have said, absolutely not. I'm not moving to Texas. <laughs> I'm not moving to some little town. I, I'm here. This is where I need to be. Because, folks, I, I want to tell you this crazy story. A year, in the last year, the church we were at, everything was great. We didn't have, like, this phenomenal numerical number growth. We only grew by about 5 or 10, but we grew. We didn't have some, like, financial explosion. In fact, we were $10,000 less financially this last year. But we did more. We had more growth spiritually than we could ever have imagined. We had special groups come. We had a Faith Promise weekend that saw over 100 people come through our doors, and we were only averaging around 60. We had this uh, uh, anniversary, and we had 120 show up for Sunday morning service. I mean, we were doing things that we could never have imagined. Things were happening left and right. And it was so incredible, and it was so weird going God's way. We're trusting God. And it was as soon as we got to that point of saying, you know, this is where God wants us. God said, do you really trust me? Are you sure about that? Because it was in March, just in the middle of all this wonderfulness, that God, that God all of a sudden showed us a video. Jenny's father had been asked randomly to, uh, to go with the DS to the small little town in the north panhandle of Texas to shoot a little video. And if you've ever seen the video, some of you probably have, it's not a great video. It's one of those where you got some guy holding a microphone and you never know which person's supposed to be talking because the microphone's always in the wrong spot. I mean, it's that kind of a video. And Jenny and I watched that because her dad was like, hey, look what I got to do. And you guys got to see this video. It's really neat, you know. And we were excited for him. So we watched it. And we watched it. And it was just like one of those things. I use, a, I use the phrase that God yanked our heartstrings. It wasn't just a pull, it wasn't a tweak, it wasn't a prod, it was a whoo. And we couldn't shake it. I mean, we would start talking about, oh man, they could do this, they could do this, they could do this. Oh man, they could, you know, that, what about this, what about this? And, and, and we'd be like, oh, that's cool, you know, we're good. This is where we're supposed to be. Look what's been happening. 
a couple days later. Man, I've been thinking. And she's like, oh, I've been thinking too. And, and we just couldn't shake it. And so finally we said, all right, we, we, we talked to her parents and said, hey, can you get a Dr. Downs' email address for us or something? And they're like, no, you do not want to go that route. I mean, this is not, you know, you know. we're like, no, we just got to say, you got to send them an email just saying what you're thinking. I mean, just, we got to do that. I mean, it took us about two weeks of wrestling with this, and we finally said, all right, you know what, we're just going to send an email. And it was really simple. It was like, hey, this is who we are, and we're not looking to do anything, but God has laid us on his heart, and here's sort of this vision, that this, like, you could do kind of a thing, and I'm sure you got it all taken care of. Goodbye. Um, and that was sort of the way it was. And, and he wrote back, perfect DS kind of email, thanks, we're not sure what we're doing yet, we'll keep you informed. That was it. That was easy. And then things just snowballed from there. One thing after another. Dr. Downs started showing that video to other people. Other people started getting excited about the potential. Money started flowing in. Land was bought. Building was, parts were bought. It still hasn't been up yet, but the building parts were bought. I mean, all these things started happening, and then we got a, we, we saw some of that and wrote back to the yes. And said, oh, man, it's so exciting. All these things are happening. And he wrote back, yeah, can we talk? Like, yeah, you haven't even seen, we haven't sent you a resume where things are good. We don't want to leave. And, but God said, talk to him. And so we talked to him. And the more we talked to him that first day, the more it just was like, oh, man, the potential here. The, the, this is sort of meshing up. And we sort of fit. And, and this could, I mean, these are certain things that we could do. And, but God, everything's good here. I mean, isn't this where you want us? Or to trust you even more. And one thing after another happened. A church stepped up and said, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to finance you bringing in this couple to be our missionaries for up there. Out of the blue, a church donated our entire year's salary. Another church donated a mobile home for us to move into. Out of the blue. One little thing after another, we had to say, God, how can we trust you any less? How can we say no to this? On Pentecost Sunday in Racine Taylor Avenue, we baptized six, brought in new, nine new members, four transfers, had two babies dedicated, and had an altar filled with people to be anointed and prayed for. And the very next Sunday, we came down here and signed the contract be the missionaries to this Cactus Ministry Center in Cactus, Texas. I can tell you right now, a year ago, I could not have said yes to that. I can tell you a year ago, I would have laughed at you had you said I would be here today. But I can also tell you today, I have never trusted God more than I do now. Not when He told me to stop playing basketball. Not when... Not, there's nothing <laughs> to compare it to. Because I have found this passage in Romans to be so true. That as we allow ourselves to be formed in the image of His Son in the midst of this messy world, as we are, are transformed and justified and glorified and built up, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in the midst of this messy world, in the midst of all that is broken, 
As we go from this place and we get out into this world, as we go to our works, as we go to our jobs, as we go to our schools, as we go to wherever it is that our everyday leads us, as sometimes we even find ourselves just saturated in the messiness of this world, maybe because of our own choices at times, maybe because choices of others, but in the midst of all that, we are more than conquerors because of the love of Christ. That nothing, absolutely, unequivocally, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That as He calls us to go and be like Him in the midst of this world, no matter how afraid that might be, no matter how scary that might be, we never do it alone. We always go the love of Christ. This passage of Scripture screams that to us this morning. And it is my hope, it is my prayer, it is my passion that as you go from this place today, and Jenny's going to come and speak a little bit more about what we're actually doing, but it is my hope and it is my passion that as you go from this place and you maybe go out and eat and you talk to that waiter or waitress about life and it gets messy. When, when you go to the grocery store, or maybe you go to the shopping center, and, and you encounter brokenness of this world, that you would be the bearers of the love of God. And that you would realize His love is always, unequivocally, with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, it is, it is an honor, it is a privilege to be in this place at this time, spending it with you. Father God, it is an honor, it is a privilege to just come and engage your word today. And I pray, Lord, no matter what I have said, no matter what I have articulated or how I haven't or whatever it is, Father God, that you would you use this time as a transforming moment in our lives? But truly, Father God, not a single one of us would leave this place having not been changed from the inside out. But Father, as we go into the world that you have created, into this world that has rejected you, that we would so be your light, that we would so be a people of God, that the world would begin to notice. That Father God, like this little church in Rome, who through their surrender to you, the entire world has been changed and still needs to be changed. That we, as your people, would allow you to work in our hearts that we might be the very catalyst of change in our world around us. And may we lo never lose heart, but trust you wholly. Oh, Father, knowing without a shadow of doubt that you are always with us, that nothing can separate us from your love. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Sometimes when we 
are called to serve. It kind of feels like that. <laughs> um, I hope that's not what we're doing in Cactus. I hope we're not serving like that. But that is um, really what our role in Cactus, Texas, is, is to serve the people of Cactus and to help them learn who Jesus is um, through what we are able to offer them. And a lot of that is going to start with building relationships. And so we just wanted to share a little bit real quick with you um, about what exactly is happening in Cactus, Texas. Um, many people haven't even heard of Cactus, Texas. I grew up very near Cactus, Texas, and had never in my life heard of it. Um, so we wanted to share with you a little bit this morning about what God's doing there and what the need is and why we are there, not just our family, but the Church of the Nazarene to serve Cactus, Texas. Um, I'll show you the next slide here. This is our family. These are our kids, Olivia and Eli, and um, they are with Grandma and Papa this weekend. Um, and that's one of the blessings that we've been able to experience already with being in Cactus. We are only an hour from my hometown, um, which means we're only an hour from Grandma and Papa. And um, it's not what called us there, but it has definitely been a blessing for us, something that we haven't been able to experience in many, many years. Um, so that's our little family. And if you go to the next slide, you will see where Cactus, Texas is. We are at the very, very tip of the panhandle, almost to Oklahoma. In fact, we're closer to Oklahoma than we are to anything else. Um, there is absolutely nothing in Cactus. It is a town of about 3,000 people, which seems pretty decent. You would think that we ought to have a McDonald's or something, but we don't. Um, we have 3,000 people all squished into about two square miles of space. So it is very much like you would experience in a foreign country where a lot of people have moved into one very small area. Cactus is supported by JBS Meatpacking, and um, really everybody who lives in Cactus has some connection with JBS, as well as those surrounding the Cactus area. So um, if it weren't for G JBS, Cactus would not be around. Um, the next slide shows you a few pictures of some people in and around Cactus. Cactus has over 17 nationalities, and those 3,000 people, there are over 17 nationalities. Most of them are immigrants and refugees from Central America, Africa, and Myanmar. These people have come to the panhandle of Texas for some reason, seeking refuge. And um, studies are showing right now that the, the Texas panhandle is the number one location in all of the United States for refugees and immigrants to come. I don't know why that is, um, but uh, maybe it's jobs, maybe it's the climate, I don't know exactly. But right now, people are just coming in and coming in and coming in from all over the world seeking refuge in the Texas Panhandle. So that's why we are there. We are there to offer services that these people might not get any other way. There are no after-school programs for the children. There are no sporting programs for children and youth. There are no ESL classes. There are no education opportunities except for the one elementary school that goes up through fourth grade. There are no jobs available nearby. There's no health care. There's no dental care. None of this exists in the town of Cactus. So that's why we are there. We are there to offer ESL classes, legal assistance, immigration assistance, health care, sports clinics, after-school programming, family services, and the list could go on and on and on. Um, the next slide will show you um, our groundbreaking ceremony on May 26th. Uh, we had, I believe, about 200 people showed up for the groundbreaking ceremony. And it was one of the neatest things I have ever experienced. I've been to several foreign countries. I've seen people worship in different languages and, and different styles of worship. 
But this was an opportunity in which we saw so many different nationalities all come together. Many of them couldn't speak to each other because they didn't know each other's language, but it didn't matter. They were praising God together, and hands were raised, hands were being clapped, people were shouting in their own languages. It was the most amazing experience that I've experienced to see these people who couldn't understand what was going on praising our God together. And the man in the middle there is Michael Gatnick, and you may have heard of him. Um, he's praying right there with his hand lifted high. He is the Nazarene USA Canada Sudanese Ministry Coordinator, and he actually has accepted the call to come to West Texas and begin some Sudanese churches um, all throughout West Texas. So you will probably be hearing more and more about him, um, especially as, as the time goes on. Our understanding is that he will be here in October. And one of the things that he will be doing is opening a Sudanese church there in Cactus um, and in the surrounding area and uh, maybe even down here in the Fort Worth area. Um, the next site you will see, uh, next slide you'll see is a picture of um, the site that is being prepped. Um, we are in the beginning stages of building a ministry center, um, a place where we can offer all of these services. Um, CNMC, we call it for short, it will be a Christ-centered community center offering the message of hope in Christ through services that empower people to live successful lives and reach their full potential. CNMC, we know, will become a prominent leader in the community. There's nothing like this in Cactus. There's nothing for these people. And so this is what we hope to do, is to start this center and become a leader in the community. Now, we've already talked with some of you this morning about the churches and whatnot that are in Cactus. There is, right in the middle of Cactus, of 3,000 people, a Muslim mosque, right there in the middle of town. It's bright blue and it's got golden domes. Um, and many people have said, wow, how do you expect to reach those people? They don't want to hear about God. <laughs> they don't want to hear about Jesus. But they do need the services that we can provide. They need to be loved through the love of Jesus, no matter what they believe. And it's through those services for these Muslim people, for some, many from Myanmar are Buddhist. It's through these services that we can extend the love of God. And they can see that, you know what, these Christians, they're more than just standing on the corner trying to preach and tell us not, you know, how not to get to hell. <laughs> they are here to love us. And that is our goal there. And through those services, maybe we can convert them to Christianity. We can show them the love of God. The next slide um, it shows you just a picture of our house. Um, it's a little 1,000-square-foot trailer, which has been a... Um, an adjustment for us. We moved from a nice big parsonage up in Wisconsin down to this little trailer. But we are blessed um, by this trailer that Amarillo First Church has donated to the work there. Not to us, but to CNMC for us and for future work as well. Um, the home sits on 1.2 acres. And um, on this acreage, we will build the, the Cactus Nazarene Ministry Center. We will offer other things. Um, one of the biggest needs we have now, and you see the next slide here, the immediate need that we have is a park for the neighborhood. We have this small little area that is, has some trees and some shade, which is very uncommon in cactus. Um, there's even a little bit of grass that grows under these trees if there's enough rain, um, which you don't see around town much at all. But we have this small little area. And we have counted in the evenings when it's nice and cool and kids are done with their homework, up to 10 to 15 kids playing on this property. They like to play on our big mound of dirt. They bring all their animals. We've, one night I looked out and I was like, what is going on out there? There were 10 kids, um, five dogs, and three cats 
running around our neighborhood, our, our little area there. And I just, I thought, how amazing would it be to have a park right here that would be a safe, clean area for these kids to come and play. And they could still bring their dogs and their cats and whatever animal they might have with them. And so we've been moving towards that. And um, we've purchased a few things, some hula hoops and soccer balls and footballs and things that the kids can play with. And um, we've been sharing that, hey, this would be a dream. This could be something that we could do here, even before our building gets built. It's going to be a while before the building is built. It's going to be a while before we can offer health clinics. But we can reach these kids and teens right now with just a little bit of property. And so um, I put that out on Facebook one day. You know, I have this dream. Last night I counted 10 kids in my yard, and I've got this dream that we could reach this neighborhood just through a playground. And the very next day, a church in Edmond, Oklahoma, contacted us and said, we'll give you $100. We know it's not much, but we'll give you $100 from our children's department to do what you can with it. So right there, there's a park bench where the moms can sit and watch their kids play. A week later, I got a phone call, an email from a friend of mine down in South Texas. Two different districts aren't on this district at all. And she said, we've been seeing what you've been talking about on Facebook. And she said, our church would like to support you. We know we can't do much. We're a small church. But we think we can give enough for you to have about three picnic tables. Would that work for you? So now we have three picnic tables and one park bench. And there's still more that we would like to have. But you know what? It starts with that. The very small things. That doesn't seem like a big thing for us. I mean, it's no big deal to go down the street and go to a park and be safe and have fun with your friends. But to have a park with a, picnic, a couple picnic tables and a, and a park bench for these families to enjoy together in a safe area is huge in a town like Cactus. Um, you can see these kids just sitting there playing. And I don't, I don't think I have it up here on one of the slides. It's in our brochure that you can see later. Um, there's a picture of some kids with a mattress, a bed mattress, leaned up against their house. It's falling apart, and they're climbing on that. That's their playground. And these are things that we, we see all over the world, but we don't imagine that it's happening right here in our own country, in our own backyard. These children don't have a playground to play on. They have a mattress leaned up against their house. So we can provide these, these areas, these ministries, really, for these kids and for these families. The next slide shows a picture of a church building. Um, this is a church in town um, that actually holds a couple of different congregations. And the lady praying there is Pastor Elda Olivares. And she is the Nazarene pastor of the Spanish-speaking Nazarene church there in Cactus. Her church rents this little church here. Her congregation rents this little church here on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. And they can use it for about two hours a week. And that's the only time that they can use a church building for anything. They, if they want to have a Thanksgiving dinner, for example, they have to find somewhere else to use it because this church building is used by multiple congregations. So one of the things that the Cactus Nazarene Ministry Center will do will, is to provide a building for Cactus Iglesia del Nazareno. And these 60 people that attend this church will have a building that they can use anytime that they need it. In addition, as we've already talked about Michael Gatnick and the Sudanese ministry, he's already been speaking with several Sudanese men who would like to start a church for, for the Sudanese right there in Cactus. So our building, the Cactus Nazarene Ministry Center, will not only offer services, 
but it will also be a home for these congregations. And hopefully down the road, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to have a Burmese congregation, a Sudanese congregation, a Somalian congregation? The list could go on and on. Um, so that is one of our goals as well. So you might ask, how can I get involved? Here I am in Fort Worth, and you guys are way up in Cactus. What can I do to get involved? Well, first off, you can answer the call and to just trust God to lead you right here in your own neighborhood. These are stories that are happening in Cactus, but I can guarantee you these same things are happening right here in this neighborhood. There are kids, there are families, there are um, immigrants, there are refugees that are right here in Fort Worth who could use the love of God, <laughs> who could be loved on. Maybe you can build a relationship with them. Maybe they just need somebody to listen to you. So I really challenge you, first off, to, to look around and see how you, God can use you right here in your own neighborhood. But in Cactus, we need your prayers more than anything. You can pray. Please pray without ceasing for the ministry at CNMC and the relationships being formed. The relationships are where we have to start. We can't just walk into some of these groups and say, hey, we're here to help you out. Let us give you something. No, we have to build those relationships. We have to be invited into these communities. And so you can pray for those relationships that are being formed. You can pray for the directors, our family. You can pray for the pastors. You can pray for the volunteers. And you can pray for these people here in Cactus. The next thing you can do is to serve. We need volunteers big time. We need volunteers to help with various services that we will eventually offer. ESL, legal needs, medical clinics, soccer camps, construction. You can volunteer your time and your talents through Work and Witness. We are an official Work and Witness site through the Church of the Nazarene. So you can volunteer your time through that. You can volunteer maybe a weekend. Hey, if you um, are a doctor or maybe you have experience with immigration services and you want to give us a weekend and come up and do a little clinic, we would love to have you. You could just come up for a special, you know, we're building the building right now and we've got concrete to pour and we've got a couple guys who are coming to help pour the concrete. Maybe you could come up and do that. There are so many needs and so many opportunities that you can get involved physically. And then, of course, financially, through giving. And um, right now, maybe that's one of our biggest needs. We are raising support through the CMNC just by doing what we're doing today, is going around and talking to churches and helping people know what is happening right here in our own backyard. And I know for many of us, it's, it's difficult to give financially. I understand that. We're there ourselves. <laughs> we, we aren't able to personally give a whole lot. But there are other ways that you can give. And one of the things that we're doing is starting to put together, um, I, I guess, different, I don't know what the right word is, opportunities, different, what am I trying to say? Do you know what word I'm trying to say? No. Um, <laughs> maybe kits um, that we could put together. Many of the Burmese ladies are pregnant. Um, everywhere you go, you see a pregnant Burmese lady, and she's already got five or six kids in tow. Maybe, maybe they might need some baby care items. So we're putting together kits of baby care items. We're putting together hygiene kits. We're putting together kits for the kids. There are over 300, 400 kids in this one little elementary school in Cactus. Um, many of them are without just the basic needs that we, <laughs> we have and that we see. Um, so we're putting together kits for them. Just recently, Vito and Dr. Downs went to visit a, a Sudanese um, man and walked into his house and found five men living in this one apartment. And they had, for furniture, all they had were camping chairs. They didn't have beds. 
They didn't have tables. They didn't have anything else. They had five camping chairs sitting there in their apartment. So we're putting together things like cots and air mattresses and things like that, things that um, for us seem simple. <laughs> and I look at our 1,000-square-foot trailer, and I, I, you know, I think, oh, man, we still don't have curtains in our bedroom, and we still don't have this, and, that, and my list can go on and on. I've got a whole list of things that I want <laughs> that are, that's going to make my life better. But yet these people don't even have a bed or a place to eat their dinner. So these are things that we are putting together. So maybe you can't give financially, but maybe you can, you know, as you're going through your kids' toys or going through your closets or whatever, you might have some physical material things that you can give. So give. That, that's definitely one way that you can help. And as we close today, um, I just I, I want to let you know that we do have some of our prayer cards out front on the um, counter out there, and I invite you to take one and put it up on your fridge and Pray for us. Pray for the ministry that's going on at Cactus. And hopefully as you see this, it'll just bring to mind what is going on there and um, stir you to pray. But I want to read this, this verse to you as we close today. It comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Thanks for having us today. <laughs>